morning. Welcome to church. Uh, we're so glad that you've joined us here in person and online. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Kirsten, and today we are continuing our series on the seven I am statements of Jesus. And last week, Pastor Jeremy started us off with the first statement, I am the bread of life. And in laying it all out last week, he said this phrase that I would like for us to keep in our minds this morning as we look at the second I am statement. He said, only in knowing who Jesus is can I know who I am. So this morning, we're going to be diving into that while we look at Jesus' second statement. But to start, I have a question. How many of you have tried to do something or look for something in the dark? I know that our youth are going to know exactly what I'm talking about here, and maybe if you have kids in our youth ministry, you've maybe heard of this, but at youth, we play a game called Gargons, and does that, who, who here knows what that is? Like one, two, three, like four people. So this game, Gargons, we play it at youth, and what we do is we turn off all of the lights in the church. We hide pieces of this like big flashlight, so there's some batteries, the little end piece, uh, and stuff like that. We hide it around the church, and the goal of the game is to find all of the pieces of the flashlight, assemble it, and shine the light on the gargons. Now the gargons are our leaders. Um, they run around the church, sometimes dressed in a pigeon mask and cape, Scott. <laughs> And they tag kids with pool noodles. Now, once somebody has been tagged, they have to stay in that spot and cannot move until they have been tagged a second time by somebody who has already found a piece of the flashlight. So if nobody has found a piece of the flashlight, you're done. You're just sitting there. It's super fun, and in the like five times we've played it since we've been here, the Gargons have won every time. <laughs> now, when I was in youth, we played the same game, but things were a little bit less restricted. Uh, my youth pastor would literally tape over the exit signs in the building, and he would cover all of the windows in like black garbage bags so that the street lights wouldn't shine in. And we did not have cell phones when I was a teenager. I know it's crazy. Uh, but if somebody did have one, it was a flip phone, so there was no flashlight. Our kids just run around with their flashlights on, so it kind of defeats the purpose. So we are running around in the dark. There's no light inside that building. And it's so hard to find anything when it's that dark, let alone a tiny piece of a black flashlight. Now, our version of the game was called the Grog, and our Grog was one of our leaders who had this really expensive lightsaber, like one of the ones you spend like probably a couple grand on, and he had the full Jedi getup. And what he would do is he would stand around the corner and we would all be linked arms with our friends, trying to make our way through the dark church, hoping we don't run into anything or run into anyone. And all of a sudden, we would round a corner, and the red lightsaber would light up. 
and we would all scatter, screaming, uh, and then spend the rest of the night trying to find each other again so that we weren't alone in the dark. It was so much fun, and I think in the like five years of being in youth, uh, we maybe won once, I really can't even remember, but it's so hard to do anything in the dark. So this morning we're looking at the second I am statement of Jesus, and just before we read our passage this morning, I kind of want to set the scene a little bit. Now we're going to learn some Hebrew together. I don't know Hebrew. I took Greek in college, and I don't know any of that either. So we're learning together this morning. So in our passage, Jesus is teaching a group of people at the temple in Jerusalem. This is pretty normal for Jesus at this point, but there were a few things that were really significant this time around. The Jews were currently celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. Super fun word, and if some of you don't know, the actual full name of our church is Bethel Penticton Pentecostal Tabernacle. Fun fact, big words. But the Feast of Tabernacles is also known as Sukkot, which is our first Hebrew word, and it means temporary booths or shelter. So the Festival of Tabernacles was a celebration of remembrance of what God had done for the Israelites, bringing them out of slavery and out of Egypt. They were remembering the 40 years that God had led them through the wilderness and into the land that he had promised them. So they would make a pilgrimage or a journey all the way to the temple in Jerusalem. This was the the last of seven feasts in Israel that God had commanded the Israelites to observe. Uh, It was also one of only three that all Jews were required to attend. The feast would last seven days, so a full week. And what they would do is they would build these little shelters outside of the city and stay in them for the entire week to remind them of how their ancestors had lived in the wilderness for 40 years. Now, during the week of the feast, different ceremonies would be taking place. And the one that is happening in our passage is the ceremony of lights. The ceremony of lights would take place in the court of women in the temple, which means that women were there for the ceremonies, which means that they were also present for Jesus' teaching in this passage, which is a big deal because they weren't allowed to be normally. So every afternoon during the seven days in the court of women, these large oil lamps would be lit. They would light up almost all of Jerusalem and they were going to provide light for the Jews to spend the entire night all the way until dawn praising God with music and dancing and thanking him for his faithfulness in leading them through the wilderness and into the promised land. Now the lamps were lit, that were lit were more than just for light. They actually represented two different things. So the first thing that they represented was the light of all lights. In Hebrew, this would be referred to as Shekinah glory, the visible presence of God that had filled the first temple that had been built by Saul. And the second thing that these lamps represented was Heor Gadol, 
the great light who would soon come and bring light to those who are spiritually dead and dwelling in darkness. So here we come to our passage this morning. We're in John chapter 8, verse 12. And this is what it says. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. What a claim. Now for the Jews who were in the temple and would have been listening to Jesus' teaching, they would have been shocked because all that they had known and been taught up to this point was that God is light. If we look back at the Old Testament, which is the text that the priests and Pharisees would have studied and taught from, we see time and time again that God was seen as light and that God was attributed to light. God's first creation was light. In Genesis 1 verse 3, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God led the Israelites out of Egypt and provided light for them. Exodus 13, 21, the Lord went ahead of them. He guided them during the day with a pillar of cloud, and he provided light at night with a pillar of fire. This allowed them to travel by day or by night. The Israelites were taught to sing. In, verse, or in Psalm 27, verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Why should I be afraid? There are so many more references to light in the Old Testament. And by saying, I am the light of the world, Jesus is claiming right here by saying, I am the light, that he is Heorgadol, the great light who was to come, and Shekinah glory, that he is God in the flesh. What a powerful moment in the temple. The ceremony of lights has just happened among all of the Jews, men and women. Here is the Lord, the one who had been faithful to them in the past and is also the one who was promised to come and bring light to those who were spiritually dead and in darkness. It's powerful, but that isn't where Jesus' statement stops. Jesus goes on to say in the second half of verse 12, if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Now here is what I have learned about light in my 25 years of life on this earth. Light changes things. Riley and I just moved into a new house, and one of the things that we're going to be doing is we're going to be getting new lights. Because an entire room can change completely based on the temperature of lights that you buy. A room can go from feeling cold and industrial and like a hospital to feeling warm and cozy by just a different light bulb. We just had the time change happen, and it is crazy what an extra hour of light will do to people. I don't know how many of people struggle with seasonal depression, but when it is winter, and the days are short, and it is dark by 3 p.m., and you don't see the sun for four months, I get sad. And sometimes I don't even realize it until the time change 
does happen in the spring, and it's sunny outside until 7 p.m., and I am a different human being. <laughs> if you go outside here in the summer, and you stay in the sun for a little while, you're gonna get a tan. Or if you're like me, you're gonna get a sunburn. Something happens when you are exposed to the light of the sun. You don't go home the same. You either get tanned or burned or get sunstroke or heat stroke. But whatever it is, something about you changes. If you work outside and you're wearing a t-shirt, you're going to notice that the part of your arm that is not covered by the t-shirt is going to be a different shade than the part that is covered. You didn't allow the light to affect that part of your arm. Now, the same is true for us in our walk with Jesus. When we are exposed to Jesus, we do not leave the same. When we allow his word and his truth, his grace and his love to work in our lives, we begin to change. In Acts chapter 9, verse 1 to 20, we see the story of a man named Saul. This is what it says. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation in the, in the arrest of any followers of the way he found there. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood speechless, for they had heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there for three days and did not, drink, did not eat or drink. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now, and I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he is authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go. For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias went and found Saul he laid hands on him and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. 
Afterward, he ate some food and regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days, and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is indeed the Son of God. What a change. Saul hated the Christians. He was killing them. He was throwing them in prison. His life goal was to rid the world of Christians, of those that followed Jesus. But then, he had an experience with the light, with Jesus. From then, he was changed forever. Saul's name was changed to Paul. Paul went on to start countless churches, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone, writing so much of the New Testament that we have today. He was in chains multiple times for preaching about Jesus. And ultimately, he was crucified upside down for following the way of Jesus. What a shift. Saul was changed because light changes things. Jesus changes things. We cannot be the same after an experience with Jesus. Now, not everybody is going to have the same extreme experience that Saul did with a complete 180 of his life. Some will, but for a lot of us, it's going to be a process of allowing Jesus to work in different areas of our lives. It's so easy for us to have a great experience with Jesus on a Sunday morning and then go to work on Monday morning and be the same old us. I think that sometimes we allow Jesus to work in our lives in certain areas and illuminate things in us and shine light into certain circumstances, but not in others. We need to be a church who is allowing Jesus to shine his light in every area of our lives. To allow his light and his love and grace and mercy to move through every bit of our lives. To allow him to change us to be more like him. Jesus is the light of the world. I'm sure that I don't have to explain to you that the world that we live in is dark. If you look around or you turn on the news, it's pretty obvious that the world we live in is not all sunshine and rainbows. In fact, a lot of what happens in the world is dark. We think of the war that is happening in Ukraine. We think about human trafficking that happens all around the world. We think about the opioid crisis in North America. We think about those who have lost loved ones, who have just received a diagnosis. People are grieving. The world is a hard place to live. And it's easy to get sad and discouraged by the things that are happening, and that's okay. That's part of our humanity to feel those things. In the darkness of today's world, it's easy to feel hopeless and unfulfilled, and to struggle to find a purpose in it all. But there is good news. Because Jesus is the light of the world, we do not walk in darkness. 
Jesus said in the second half of our passage today, if you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. Now this doesn't mean that we won't experience darkness. It doesn't mean that we are now exempt from feeling the pain and the hardship that we experience here on earth. But what it means is that we have a light through the darkness. Psalm 23 verse four says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid for you are close beside me. Your rod and your staff protect and comfort me. When we do experience those dark times, those moments when everything feels hopeless and everything seems dark, where it feels like you're just wandering aimlessly in the darkness, just hoping to find some sense of light to lead you out, Jesus is there. He walks with us. He is in it with us. Jesus leads us through. He is the guide through the darkness so that we can see that there is hope. Because Jesus is the light of the world, we have the light that leads to life. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Just like in the game of Gargons that I talked about in the beginning, shining the light is ultimately what wins the game. In the same way, Jesus is the light that brings life we are no longer dead in darkness and in sin. Jesus brings life to the fullest, a life of hope and joy and purpose. My life is better because of Jesus. He has changed my life for the better. He has shown me a life that is fulfilling, full of purpose and blessing. Jesus being the light that leads to life is not only about life here on earth. Jesus' whole purpose in coming to earth was to pay the ultimate price for our sins on the cross. To make a way for us to be free to have life with him forever in heaven. We have a hope of a life that is infinitely greater than anything that we could experience on earth, the light that leads to life. Now remember that phrase that Pastor Jeremy used last week that I wanted to keep in our minds this morning? He said, only in knowing who Jesus is can I know who I am. So because Jesus is the light of the world, we are the light of the world. Jesus says in Matthew 5, verse 14, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. We are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Paul says in Galatians 5, 8, for once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. Jesus has changed me. I am no longer the person that I was before I knew Jesus. I now live with a purpose. 
I now live with a hope inside of me that Jesus is coming back and that I will live with him for eternity. I now have a hope that when I go through the darkness, when I experience hurt and pain, I have Jesus to guide me through. Has Jesus changed you? Has the light of the world made a difference in your circumstances? Has Jesus illuminated things in your life that have made you better and more like him as a result? We cannot keep that for ourselves. In saying that we are the light of the world, Jesus is issuing a charge to his followers to go and be a light in the world, a light in the darkness. You have people in your life, or at least I hope that you do, who don't know Jesus, who haven't had an experience like Saul where the light of Jesus has changed them. For a lot of them, they've probably never been exposed to the light of Jesus. For those of you who have been around the church for a long time, it's gonna be shocking, but we no longer live in a culture where people have a general understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done. Your neighbor has maybe never heard of Jesus and what he did. Your coworker has maybe never heard of Jesus and that he loves them. There is a challenge from Jesus to evangelize. And I know that that is a scary word. It can feel really overwhelming. But it doesn't always mean that you have to go and preach the gospel from a street corner like Paul did. Sometimes, it just means showing up for someone. Sometimes it means taking the time to sit and listen to someone. Sometimes it means asking to pray for somebody. Sometimes it means dropping everything in a second to be with your neighbor who just lost a loved one. Sometimes it means stopping to help someone whose car got a flat tire. Jesus showed up. Jesus spent time with those who needed light. You have that light. If Jesus has changed your life, you have the light that leads to life for everyone. And as I end here, I just wanna read Matthew 5:14 again. But this time I wanna read it from the message version. The way that it words it is really encouraging and challenging. So as I read it, I want you to take a second and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit, who in your life needs the light that leads to life? Matthew 5:14. Here's another way to put it. You are here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If you are able to this morning, would you stand with me? 
I just wanna take a moment here with people's eyes closed. I'm gonna pray for us. And I just wanted to give an opportunity to anyone here this morning who has maybe been on the fence about this whole Jesus thing. Maybe you're here this morning and this is the first time that you've ever heard of Jesus and what he's done for you. If you have felt this morning that you would like to make the decision to follow Jesus, would you just throw your hand up so I can see it? Pray for you this morning. It's good. It's good. Jesus, God, we thank you that you are light. God, I thank you that you are light in the darkness. God, that no matter what we go through or experience or see on this earth, Jesus, you are light and you shine through it all, Jesus. You guide us through the hard parts of life. Jesus, I just pray for anybody in this room who is experiencing darkness. Jesus, whatever it may be, God, I pray that they would see the light. Jesus, that they would see you in their situations. Jesus, that you would show up and move. Jesus, that you would bring others who have the light to walk alongside them. Jesus, I thank you for the people who have decided to follow Jesus this morning. God, would we be a church who walks alongside them. Jesus, who lifts them up and helps them, helps them learn what it looks like to also be the light of the world. God, would we be people who would show up for those who need light. God, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for what you have done in our lives, Jesus, and what you are going to continue to do. We love you. We thank you. Amen.